Good morning, all of you. And uh, good morning to those who are joining us via the live stream. Karibuni sana for our morning adult Sunday school class. Uh, we thank God the last month we have been looking at worship. And uh, I trust that we've been able to learn much of how we ought to approach our God who is a consuming fire. So for the uh, next uh, couple of Sundays, that's hopefully the next five Sundays, um, I hope to take us through uh, a journey of uh, looking at our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is uh, a topic that is far wider than I can cover in five Sundays, but I trust the Lord to be able to give you just enough, okay? The, the, the purpose of the morning Sunday school classes is to give you just enough for you to be excited and to go and do your own reading, do your own study, do your own research after this. So I hope that I will excite you uh, and encourage you to study more about the things of uh, the Holy Spirit as we journey through this lesson. Uh, but before that, let me ask that we begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for your goodness to us. You sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to uh, take the judgment that was ours, the punishment for sin that was ours, so that we may be your children. And we thank you that you have not left us as orphans as our Lord ascended into heaven. Rather, you gave us your Holy Spirit, who is our guide, our help, our comfort. And we do pray that as we study this next couple of Sundays, if you will, O oh Lord, that we will be able to grasp and understand what you have done and what you continue to do by the power of your spirit in our lives. So be with us in this study. Help me, O oh Lord, that I would be faithful, I would be uh, so clear and even simple, O oh Lord, and uh, diligent so that your people would be uh, encouraged to study and to grow in your word. So be with us, Lord, this day, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So again, Karibuni for the uh, Sunday school class. So as I said in the opening, we will be looking at the topic of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, we will be covering it, hopefully, in five, let me call them subtopics, um, that are there. So we will be beginning with the person of the Holy Spirit today. And then, Lord willing, next Sunday, we will look at his regenerating power or his regeneration in our heart, his saving power, and then his sanctification or his separating power, and then his gifts or his enabling power, and then his fruit, his identifying power. So those are the ways, Lord willing, uh, we will be able, or an outline, a simple outline of, <coughs> sorry, what we will be looking at for the next couple of Sundays, if the Lord allows us. So note that in your mind so that uh, as we move on, you will be able to uh, see the various areas uh, that we will be studying. Now, before we begin with 
uh, number one, which is his eternal power. Let me just make a, a, a quick intro why this topic is important. Now, this topic is important because uh, in the last couple of years since the growth of the charismatic and the Pentecostal movement, there has been this uh, growth in, uh, I wouldn't even call it growth, there's been this um, idea that people have woken up and uh, have sort of written a lot about the Holy Spirit, and uh, some of it is very wrong completely wrong because the view of the Holy Spirit in many of these circles, the Pentecostal and the charismatic circles, looks at the Holy Spirit simply as a person or a force whom we can manipulate for our own good, for our own purposes. And I hope to show us that this is not true. This is the sovereign God. We cannot twist his arm to give us anything or to have him do our bidding, as some people might think. So it is important that we relook at this truth. We relook at this person from the Bible itself. And so I've put there, so why must we take time to study uh, our relationship with the third person of the Trinity? So our relationship with the Holy Spirit is of interest. Not just because of what I have said, that's part of it, but this is the main purpose. <clears throat> it is because He, the Holy Spirit, is the one whom the Father and the Son sent to effect salvation and to indwell us. So it is the Holy Spirit who indwells us. It is the Holy Spirit who makes those things of Christ real in our heart. It is he who brings those things of the Father and makes them real in our lives, in our Christian life. And so we must seek to understand our relationship with him. And we see this in John. I put two passages there. There are many more passages about the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, in, in John 14 and verse 26, and then John 15 and 26. But the helper the Holy Spirit, when, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he's called the helper there. And then in John, now that's specifically talking about the apostles, but then in a much wider uh, application to the Christian uh, communities, John 15 and verse 26, but when the helper, or the Comforter, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. <clears throat> so those are some of the passages where we see the work of the Holy Spirit being referred to in terms of his power to effect salvation, but also his indwelling of the believer. Any other passage that comes to your mind? With regards to this, any other passage about the Spirit? Okay, be thinking about them, okay, as we go on with the study. So, the point of this study, so this is what I hope to be the end. 
this is the end of, or rather what I hope the Lord will do in our lives. The point of this study is to encourage us to cultivate a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let me even add a deeper and truer relationship with the Holy Spirit. How? By actively submitting to Him, by obeying His commands, by depending on His power, and enjoying fellowship with Him. Is there a passage where we are told about fellowship with the Holy Spirit specifically? Any passage that comes to your mind? It's a passage we keep on saying. We used to say it even in school. Is there a passage that specifically says or encourages or focuses on our fellowship with the Holy Spirit? This one you must remember, surely. Yes, Collins. So, I don't know the exact passage, but... Just say it. I know you know it. Just say it. The grace of our God, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ and the love, and the love of, God, of God, the fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Surely, have you forgotten that? It should be in our heads, isn't it? That we see there in that passage. It's uh, is it Second Corinthians? Um, let me see. Should be Second Corinthians thirteen and fourteen. That's right. So we. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we say that benediction often, but we don't think about it. That what Paul in that benediction is telling us is we relate with the Holy Spirit in terms of our fellowship with him. And so this is my aim, that we would fellowship with him by obeying him, by uh, submitting to him, by depending on his power. And my prayer is, as we do so, as we continue in this study, my prayer is that we will produce his fruit. His fruit will be real in our lives. And we will grow in our knowledge of God the Father and our likeness to Christ. Because you cannot separate the, our interaction with the persons of the Godhead. As you grow to know the Father, you will grow to experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will continue to experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. As you continue to experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will continue to experience the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So, this is not simply because, again, many people have this idea that you can fellowship with one person of the Godhead in isolation of the other. No. is as we grow in our knowledge, in our fellowship, in our submission to God, we grow in experiencing all those realities that are there for us as believers. So that's my aim. Uh, it's good to have it in the beginning so that we can look at ourselves and say, are we, is this what's happening in our life? Okay. And after this, 
after every lesson, my hope is that we will pray for this. You will be able to pray for yourself in that way, that you will grow to be submitted more to the Spirit. You will continue, uh, you will grow in enjoying fellowship with Him, depending on Him, not depending on yourself, depending on Him, and uh, enjoying, uh, or rather, uh, obeying His commandments. So having said that, uh, let's look at number one. Let's begin by who he is. So who is the Holy Spirit? It's important that we begin there. For us to consider our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we must begin by asking ourselves, who is he? What does the Bible tell us about the third person of the Godhead? Because you can't really fellowship with one or you can't have a relationship with one whom you don't know. And that's why, for example, for those who want to be members in this church, one of the things we tell you is you can't be a member of a church when you don't know us. You can't just come day, Sunday one and then want to be a member here and you've never gotten time to know us, gotten to walk with us the same way. In something like marriage, isn't it? Um, the marriage relationship. You must know the person you are getting married to, isn't it? When you are doing business, it's important that you get to know the person you are doing business with. All right? That's the norm in life. And so in the same way, even in these spiritual things, even in this, let me put it this way, even in this high relationship, we need to know who he is so that then we may our fellowship or our desires may grow. Maybe one of the reasons why our desires to grow or desire to grow in knowing God is because we do not appreciate who he is. Right? The more we know God, the more our desire for him increases, the more our devotion to him increases. And therefore, I want us to see how great the Holy Spirit is, so that then our desire may be excited, may be lifted up, and so that we may look to him more and more. So in today's study, we will begin by appreciating his personhood, first of all, and then his divine nature. So let's look at just those two things today. And uh, hopefully, I pray that we will grow to know who he is. So the first thing I want us to see is the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, we have one God, three persons. Our God is one. We worship one God. but yet. He is three persons, a mystery that we will never understand, a mystery that we will never be able to fully appreciate. We can fully understand it, but we can't fully understand it. Why? Because God is not like, God is not like a, a creature. We can't take God, a piece of God, put him in a test tube, and then we get to study who God is. 
you know how you do tests in a in a lab if you want to <clears throat> if you want to find out what something is we take a piece of it we put it in a test tube and then we look and we say wow okay this creature is i don't know 30% carbon it has 20% uh, hydrogen and it has 60% uh, oxygen no that's not god we cannot do that and so even as we study this we are not trying to say that we will grasp this mystery what we are saying is we are able to learn it truly from the bible okay so <clears throat> we see in various passages that the holy spirit the third person of the trinity is a person he is not an unconscious impersonal force or a vague influence like some would claim rather he is person there are those who would say well the holy spirit is a force for example the uh jehovah's witnesses if you interact with them they will say well you see the holy spirit is simply that force they would even say he is the finger of god i've interacted with some of them and uh tried to convince them of this truth but again you're not able to win someone because you win an argument isn't it the holy spirit himself have to do a work in their hearts and that's one of the things i hope us to for us to learn to depend on the holy spirit and not to depend on our argumentation even in an area like evangelism because sometimes we can even approach evangelism as if we are doing it by our own strength as if if i just if i just <clears throat> if i'm just able to present my truths very well if i'm just able to convince this person ah i will win them over no we are depending on the holy spirit and the holy spirit is a person is not a force so the the um Jehovah's witnesses would say that that he is a force an impersonal force or or a vague influence he is this power you know even in the some of the charismatics have this where they just think of the holy spirit as power that is done what power that is released by the pastor isn't it i release and then people do what people fall down and then i withdraw that power again and then i do what and then again i release the power on this side and then you fall and then i pull back that power and then bring some more people and then i release you see how that is very wrong it is putting the holy spirit in in a place where he is no longer god i've even heard some people explain the holy spirit by by saying that the holy spirit is like electricity you know he is this power that you need to tap into you know how you 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 put that tv of yours or that radio or that iron box of yours into that socket you tap into it and then there is power so you see how that that is wrong and even blasphemous to simply 
turn God to be a force that can be manipulated, that can be controlled, unleashed, released, brought back. We need to be very careful. A lot of what's <clears throat> a lot of what is happening today out there is blasphemous. Completely blasphemous in the way that the person of the Holy Spirit is handled. Well, I would argue that's not the Holy Spirit of the Bible, that's some other spirit. They are dealing and they are playing with something else. Because what I see in the Bible is that he is a person, he is a sovereign person. And as we shall see, he is an eternal, divine person. We cannot control him, move him around as we want. So that's one of the things I want us to see. So uh, having seen that, uh, in the, as we study the personhood uh, of the Holy Spirit, I want us to just see two things. First of all, you will notice that he is he is referred to by masculine pronouns. So in the scriptures, we see, we see him being referred to as he or who. I should have actually put that in capital. He or who instead of it or which. Now it's important always to look at grammar, or it's important to look at that, to see how the Bible uses certain words. And you will see that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we do not, the Bible doesn't use a neuter pronoun, like a thing, it is, it is coming, it will fill you. It will come upon you. We don't see that. We see that he will come upon you. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send. That's what we see. And a good example is the words of Christ in John 16. I've put them there. John 16, verse 13 and 14. Where Christ says, now look at these words, John 16, verse 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But wherever, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see that? How that pronoun he is used over and over again when Christ is referring to the helper who he will send to the apostles? Over and over, he, he, he. 
So he is a person. And we need to be, again, careful whenever we refer to the Holy Spirit, not to use the word it. If Christ himself uses the pronoun he, we must use he. Now this is a big thing I, I uh, understand right now, especially in the West, the use of pronouns is a whole issue by itself because, you know, people these days get to choose the pronoun they want, right? You have men who decide you will no longer call me a he, you will call me they, they, them. Have you heard of that? Or women who decide to say my pronoun is he, he, they. And I've even seen some places, I think I saw a video clip. Someone shared with me a video clip of, um, a, I think this was a, a preacher. I wouldn't even call them a preacher. Some leader in some church in Canada who was using the pronoun she for God. Yeah. There's a video circulating around of someone using that, you know. Uh, so they would say, for example, with this, they would, instead of he, they would put the word she. It's, it's messed up. We need to be very careful in the words we use whenever we are talking about God. He. Him. Who or whom. This shows that he is a person, not a force. Christ didn't, again, notice. He didn't use the word it. Or even that, he, to show that he is speaking about a person. A person. And what do we mean by a person? Means that he, he interacts, he relates with people. He has a will. He speaks. These are some of the things that as we study, we shall see if true about the Holy Spirit. So. Note that the pronoun used for him in the scriptures. I would use other examples, but I think that should suffice for now. But another thing I want us to see is that he is not just referred to in a pronoun that shows that he is a person, but he has personal attributes. This is what I was hinting at. He has Personal attributes. Because again, the, the, if you talk to Arians, Jehovah's Witnesses, and these other groups that do not believe in this, they would say, well, he's simply a force, he's simply a power of God, uh, he has no personal attribute. And you wonder, which Bible are they reading? What Bible do you read? Well, we see in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit uh, has personal attributes. There are many recording or places where we see the Holy Spirit performing personal action, such as speaking, teaching, interceding, grieving, 
and guiding. So we see that many examples in the Bible, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, where we see the Holy Spirit, <coughs> sorry, having those or bringing out those personal attributes, like speaking, taking sovereign action, teaching, interceding, grieving, and even guiding. For example, we see in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 and 21, and then Acts 28 and 25, that the Holy Spirit spoke to the prophets and apostles and inspired them to write the scriptures. Let me just read that passage for us. It's good to read. Turn to your Bibles there so that I'm not convincing you out of my own <clears throat> thoughts, but you would be guided by the inspired word. Second Peter 1 and 21. Anyone volunteering to read it for us? Okay, you can give him the mic there. And then Acts 28-25. Okay. At the back. Ah, you can read for us. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And then Acts 28-25. Acts 28-25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we see that the Holy Spirit was right in Saying, how can a force say he spoke this truth? He gave his words. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the uh, Isaiah the prophet. Look at that. So he is, we see that he has those personal attributes. But then another thing, he not only spoke, he taught and reminded. So he spoke and he taught. Let's look at John. We've already looked at this, but let's turn there again. John 14. And 26. Someone volunteering to read it for us? All right, Esther. 
but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i have said to you right thank you so he will teach you he will teach he will bring those truths that are mine and he will teach them he will not just simply transfer knowledge right the way that a computer would transfer information or data from one computer to another or from a hard disk to uh, another hard disk no he will teach a personal reality that the holy spirit does in the lives of the believers or especially for the apostles in this passage another thing we see that he intercedes for believers okay romans let's turn to romans 8 and 26 a volunteer yes i see uh, okay so uh, anthony then thanks likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words mm. what can be more of a personal reality than that that he intercedes with groaning he pleads he prays for us he intercedes for us that's that's a very personal thing to be done a force can't do that a force a, a force can't intercede for you a computer program can't intercede for you even with the best right now where we are heading with ai and all uh, the advancement that is happening that's still uh, you know the uh, e- even with ai although people might say well the ai is becoming more almost like a person it can never get that there because it's simply being fed information and then it is responding to that information isn't it we don't see that with the holy spirit he is a person he knows who we are he knows our needs he knows our troubles he knows what we need for spiritual growth and therefore he intercedes for us with groanings that uh with groanings that are what's the word there groanings too deep for words what a wonderful reality that the spirit who indwells us intercedes for us he intercedes for you and i he knows us we have a personal relationship with a personal holy spirit who indwells us we don't just simply have a force in us an influence in us no a person indwells us Now that's a big thing that's a heavy reality that's something that should make us to be energized 
in this life, in spite of the troubles. Now, the world is filled with many troubles. And sometimes, not even the best of our friends is able to understand us, isn't it? That's one of the ways I would even apply this. <clears throat> that even the best of our friends sometimes cannot appreciate the pains in our heart, the troubles in our heart. And I can pray for you, and I can plead for you, honestly. But no man can do what the Holy Spirit does. Interceding for you with groanings that are too deep. For what? No pastor can do that for you. Your wife, your husband can't do that for you. Your parents can't get to this level. It's only the Holy Spirit who fully understands you, who fully appreciates the troubles, the excitement, the joys, highs, the lows. And he can intercede for you in this way. Then, <clears throat> fourthly, is that we see that the, the Holy Spirit is grieved by the sins of God's people. We see this in Isaiah and in Ephesians. He is grieved by the sins of God's people. He doesn't just simply know our sins. When we sin, he is grieved by them. No force can do that. Let's turn to Isaiah 63, 10. So someone can read for us Isaiah 63, 10. Let's just stand there in our Bibles. <clears throat> Someone wasn't read. Uh, all right. Okay, Kafue, you can read Isaiah 63, 10. And then Joram, Ephesians 4 and 30. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Now do you see that? And this is in the Old Testament. Because some people think, well, that is something that was brought in to the New Testament. No, no, no. Holy Spirit, here we are told, was grieved by the sins of God's people. When they sinned, when they involved themselves in all manner of idolatry, when they began worshipping idols, the Holy Spirit was grieved. When they began breaking the laws of God, not observing the Sabbath, it grieved the Holy Spirit. When the priests began involving themselves in sin, when the princes began involving themselves in sin together with the kings, it grieved the Holy Spirit. It was grieved when Israel, when Judah, were turning away from the God who saved them from Egypt. He saved them from Egypt. He made them 
God's people. He gave them a covenant. He gave them their own land. He protected them from their enemy. And then to see them turn away from the laws and the commandments of God, it grieved him. The way it grieves us when you do something good to someone and then they go out there and malign you. It hurts you, isn't it? When, for example, you host someone in your house and maybe you pay school fees for them and, you know, you help them in every way. And then you hear that they've, when they leave that house, they go and they say, well, I didn't like this and that about that house. Oh, this person was mistreating me. This person was terrible. It does grieve you, isn't it? That truly, I mean, I did all that for you. You did not, I didn't even ask you for one cent, one coin at any time. You can do that to me. The Holy Spirit of God was grieved by the sin of Israel. And that's why we are even told, in response, therefore he turned to be their enemy. Look at that. He is grieved, and therefore the Holy Spirit himself turns to be their enemy. A force can't turn to be your enemy. A person turns to be your enemy, isn't it? They say, you, from now on, you are my enemy. They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. That's, that's, that's something serious. For those people who just think of the Holy Spirit, well, he is this. He is the soft part of the triune God and, uh, you know, he, he just does good and he comes because that's what the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement has brought in, a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Look at what the Holy Spirit is, the Bible, who he is. He is grieved. He makes them their enemy. He fights them. Because they have turned against their Ephesians 4. Sorry. Uh, who was reading for us Ephesians 4? 4 and 30. Just a minute, I get there. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. Maybe you can read 29 and 30, yeah? Joram, thanks. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the whole spirit of God by whom you are sealed from the day of redemption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there we see again that personal attribute of him being grieved by our sin, 
And what sin is he specifically talking about there that grieves the Holy Spirit especially? It is which sin? Also context talking about, even if you look at our words, isn't it? Right? How we use our words with other believers. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. It's a warning. Watch out. Watch out. And verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among, uh, from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see that? How our words went out of bitterness, out of wrath, out of anger. When we slander, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just think, well, the Holy Spirit is only grieved by these big sins. But, ah, well, the word that I just spoke to that brother or that sister, well, ah, he can let it slide. No, look at that. Watch out for your word. They grieve the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. He is grieved by them. Be careful before you speak. Be careful before you decide out of what is in your heart or in your mind to simply now talk. Watch out. Holy Spirit is indwelling you. He's seeing where those words are coming from. You know, you can hide from us where those words are coming from. But the Spirit lives in you, isn't it? The Bible says that we are the temple of who? The Holy Spirit. So he knows where those words are truly coming from. He knows that they could be coming from bitterness and wrath and anger and malice. And that grieves him. So he is grieved. So that's another thing that we see about him being a person. So there are many other passages. Go like, like I said in the beginning, this is simply to stir you up to do more study. This one hour is not enough for us to cover everything. There is far much more that I could say on this subject. But this is simply for me to excite you to go and do your own study and to grow in seeing who God is from the scriptures. So then, having looked at the person of, or that he is a person, I would want us then for the next couple of minutes, our, our time is really gone, uh, the next couple of minutes, to look at the deity of the Holy Spirit, the fact that he is God. Because again, there is that teaching being perpetuated that he is simply a force. But then it's not just a teaching, but there is a practice but that is being done out there as if the Holy Spirit is not God, that he is not sovereign, that we can control the Holy Spirit the way we want. He is a sovereign God. And how do we see this? I'll just show two things. Right? So the first one is 
creation of the universe. I mean, if there is one thing that is the act of God, is what? Creation. No one played any role in creation, not even the angels in heaven. Creation is a work of God, a hundred percent. Wasn't helped by anyone. He didn't seek help from anyone. He didn't seek advice from anyone. When he created the sun, the moon, the stars, when he created the earth, when he created the trees, the fish, the birds of the air, when he created man, all that he did out of his own power. And when we see in the Bible, if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, I want us to just look at these three passages. <clears throat> Let's start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. So, someone to read it for us, a volunteer. She, she can do it for us. And then Job 33, 4. We'll read Job 33.4. Okay. And then there is Psalm 104.30. Orange can do it. So. Yes, please read for us Genesis. Genesis 1, 1-2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Mm, thank you. So there, in the very beginning, we see what? We see the Holy Spirit at work. Hovering or brooding over this creation that is about to come, this creation that is coming out. From the very beginning of the Bible, the place when creation is being done, you see that the Holy Spirit appears. He was active. He was present in the work of creating the universe. Now we see this, that God the Father was there in the beginning. God created heaven and earth. And we see in Colossians that the Son was also involved. Jesus Christ was also there. By him, all things were made. And then in this passage, verse 2, we see that the Spirit of God is also there. The triune God being involved in creation. Then the next passage is Job 33 and uh, verse 4. Let me just stand there. The Spirit of God has made me. No, just read it. It's okay. Just, just continue. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. All right, look at that. You see here this statement. The Spirit of God has made me. It is the Holy Spirit who made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Right? 
creation very important creation of man being associated with the holy spirit and then psalm 104 and verse 13 lawrence you can read it for us when you send forth your spirit they are created and you renew the face of the ground all right so here we see the holy spirit is the one who we are told you sent forth so we see the father and the son sending forth the holy spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth so he is the sovereign god he created again a force can't do that uh, a lower creature can't do that or or not even a creature can't do that god himself he is the one involved in creation and therefore whenever we are thinking of the holy spirit think and meditate on the reality of creation everything we see today everything that we can touch everything that we can smell everything that we can see everything that we can taste was made and the spirit according to this path so we need to have that mindset as we continue in our study of our fellowship or our relationship with the holy spirit let's remember this in our mind and then lastly because of time let me just get to this as we look at the deity of the holy spirit there is also another important aspect there is creation and then there is inspiration now hopefully next sunday we shall look at salvation but let's just look at inspiration so creation creation of everything we see everything we touch everything we smell we taste even who we are the very life that we have it's attributed to the work of the spirit in this passages so then we have the scriptures the scripture is the word of god it is the self revelation of god where he reveals himself to mankind it is god who reveals himself we can't we we can't know god unless he reveals himself to us may i even say that we can't even know ourselves and we can't know creation unless god reveals it to us isn't it i can't know who i am i can't know who, who you are or what creation is unless god himself reveals it to me and all this is found in the scriptures where god reveals himself he reveals his work and we see that this self revelation of god is strongly tied to the work of the holy spirit 
All right? So we've already looked at Second Peter, but let's read First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 and 21, and then Acts 1 and 16. And then Hebrews. Hebrews 3, 7, and 9. So a volunteer to read for us. <clears throat> First Peter one twenty one. Someone who, who hasn't read. Okay, at the back, and then Acts one sixteen. Mike, and then Hebrews three seven and nine. Um, second Peter. First Peter. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I oh. let me. That should be. Hmm? It's Second Peter. Sorry, Second Peter. Yes. Uh huh. Second uh, Peter, one twenty-one. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, though humans, spoke from God as they were. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right. So there again we see that the truth that the revelation of the scripture is God revealing himself to man and his Holy Spirit bring, bringing those truths to man, teaching men, inspiring those men so that they may bring out those words, so that they may record them. For us. Thank you. And then Acts 1. Acts 1, 16. 16. Yeah. Brothers, the scripture had, be, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, brothers, the scriptures have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. So the scriptures that are being fulfilled were spoken beforehand by who? The Holy Spirit himself. By the mouth of David concerning this man, Judah. Alright, so he is the one who we see strongly tied with the scriptures. And before we read this passage in Hebrews, let me say this. Eh? This is why, by the way, for those people who say, you know, you Baptists, you Baptists hold on to the Bible too much. You hold on to the Bible too much to the detriment of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard of that? I've had someone tell me that, you know, told me, you know, you Baptists believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Bible. Now, I, I think they were also saying that to offend me. Uh, but really, how can you say that? How can you separate the Holy Spirit from the Scriptures? And yet, he is the one who did what? Inspired the Scriptures. For someone to tell you, no, you know what, you need some new revelation. What's on a Bible? I mean, you guys have studied the Bible too much that now you are 
restricting the Holy Spirit. Be very careful. Because what they are doing is that they are taking you away from God. If he is the one who inspired the Bible, then anyone who takes you away from the Bible is taking you away from who? The Holy Spirit. Watch out. Do not be taken away from the scriptures. As we continue with this study, one of the things I want to bring out is to show you that one of the ways we fellowship with the Holy Spirit is by us growing in the scriptures, reading the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, prayerfully reading them, and prayerfully applying them in our lives. So watch out when someone tries to separate uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit from the word that he inspired. All right, Hebrews 3, who wants to read it for us? Uh, okay. We can stop. Let, let's just Beryl read since she's all the way at the back. Eh? <clears throat> it's not there. Hebrews 3, 7 to 9. Hebrews 3, 7 to 9. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to test, put me to the test, and saw my works for forty years. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So there we have it. You know, the Holy Spirit says, and this is a passage from Psalm ninety-five. This is a quotation from Psalm ninety-five. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Psalm ninety-five. Those are words spoken by the Spirit himself, by the Holy Spirit himself. And so again, let's be very careful whenever someone tries to take us from the Word. Let's be very careful whenever someone tries to show us that the Holy Spirit is a force we can control or manipulate. No, he is God. Let no one fool you that the Holy Spirit will just sit there as you sin and do nothing. He is grieved by our sin. But let's also remember that he is the one who intercedes for us with words that are too deep for groaning. So that then we have one indwelling us who knows us, who knows our needs, who knows our pressures, our pains. We have a friend who is close to us. We have a helper, a comforter who is close. So even if no one in this world is helping you, even if, and that's why again, don't say I'm giving up because no one helped me, no one is standing with me. That's not true. If you are a believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have one who is the comforter, who is with you. Who knows you better than anyone knows you. You have God himself indwelling you. May that help us to put our hearts at peace 
May that help us to pray. May that help us in our worship as we continue to fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God. So any question or interaction, maybe maybe two questions because of time. My, my, my time is really gone. Ah, yes, I see a hand here. Anyone else? All right, Lawrence. Uh, the charismatics refer a lot to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and in First John, okay, First John, eh? uh, chapter two, verse twenty-seven, we see that the, that anointing is able to teach. Um, can just read verse twenty-seven. As for you, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you are binding him. So what is this anointing, the Holy Spirit? Thank you. That's a good question. I am tempted to say already I preached on that, but... Uh... That's, that's, yeah, that's one of the places they run to. And I uh, think of the anointing that no one needs to teach you. But then what you need to realize is that in first John chapter four and verse six, he says, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So he's saying that the word of God, this truth that you have received about Christ, because the context of First John is what? You have these false teachers who are coming to tell people there is some extra-biblical knowledge. So what is in the Bible is not really all that Christ said. There is some secret hidden knowledge out there that you need, that we only have. Right? So if you just come to us, we will tell you something that is not there in the Bible. But then John is saying to them, if you listen to us, if you accept these words from us, the apostles and the prophet, what has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, you already know the truth. No one needs to add any other thing. You have this already. So it's talking about that reality that is revealed to us in the scriptures. All right? Yeah. So they, they, they need to read not just one verse and then... Now, that's the problem. Someone isolates a verse from the whole idea of the letter, which is really wrong, isn't it? They should read the whole from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5, and they will see that there is a lot of pointer to the fact that you already have the truth in the Bible. Yeah. If you listen to us, you are from God. If you do not listen to us, you are not from God. So it's what's already in the scriptures. right? Yes, Lawrence. Thank you. Right. My question is similar to Alex mm -hmm. um, about some verses that are used for some of these false teachings. All right. So is there Revelation? So when you look at Revelation one four, um, it says, "John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne." Um, just at the introduction, mm. and you can see it's like Trinitarian. 
because it continues about Christ. So, yeah. so what is this seven? Is this referring to the Holy Spirit? Because again, uh, in Revelation four five, no, I think to the church in Sardis or some place it says, uh, you know, to him who has uh, seven spirits of God, you know. Um, the Revelation four five again we see this. So is this referring to the Holy Spirit or what would be your comments on these verses? Yeah, uh, I looking at it, even the the way that passage is written, the seven spirits, not the spirit with that uh, definite article, that capital S, is not talking about the Holy Spirit. So I don't know, I've never heard how that is used. Maybe, is it to say that there, is, there are seven spirits, like seven, seven spirits? Yeah. The terminology used is a sevenfold spirit of God, something like that. Oh, I've never heard about that. So they would say the sevenfold spirit of God. Would they speak of that as divine or maybe they're just saying, uh, as something that is happening. Not too sure about not that. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you, you, your argument to that this is not referring to the yeah. Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. But maybe I would study it more. I've never heard about that. But thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. The other one was also Revelation 3 1. All right. To the angel in the church of Sadis, right? The words of him who was the seven spirits of God. And the seven stars. Yeah. So that again, if if you look at that uh, passage again, just again looking at even the way that it's written, uh, no definite, no definite article. Again, sorry for getting a bit technical, but it doesn't communicate that it's a person. It's more of it could be the church, the churches, all right? Could be the churches there uh, that he's talking about. Yes. So I see, let, let Pasimurungi answer this. Eh? Um, so the question is, uh, what are the seven spirits of God? Uh, I think the the main contention there is on the number seven, mm -hmm. isn't it? Uh, but if you were to remove seven spirits, you'd see that it's a reference to God. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you read the world statement, you'd see that it's a reference to God because who else would have given the, those words okay. mm -hmm. uh, written to the church? Um, it's basically saying that uh, these are the words of the one who has the fullness of the Spirit of God, because seven is a number of, of perfection. If you saw six, then that would be, would be a, a, human, a human number. Um, so, so I think that's where people tend to struggle with uh, <clears throat> this kind of uh, language in, in Revelation, yeah. because of numbers and all that. Um, it's not to say that God has seven spirits and that's it. It's to say that God has... Uh, God has the Spirit, has all the fullness of the Spirit mm -hmm. in its perfection. Yeah. Yeah. So perfection there. 
rather than seven spirits in terms of the Holy Spirit, right? It's the fullness who God is and what he knows and what he has revealed. Yeah, thank you for that. All right, uh, let me just end it there because of time, but thank you so much uh, for your interaction. Please, let's continue studying this and not just study. Again, remember in the beginning I gave one of the reasons why we are doing this. Remember, I want us to grow in having fellowship with the Holy Spirit, submitting to him, right, obeying his word. We grow in prayer. We grow in our Christian walk. All right, so this is not simply for our head knowledge. This is something that I pray and I trust will affect our lives as Christians. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, again to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that you sent your Spirit to effect this work by convicting us of our sins, by bringing us to life. And we pray that as we continue to commune with your Spirit, whom you have sent to indwell us, O oh Lord, keep us from sin. Help us that we would not grieve your Holy Spirit and thereby end up being his enemies. And he fights against us, O oh Lord, help us rather that we would be submitted to him, that we would love your word, the word that your spirit inspired, that we would be given to not just reading but meditating on it and prayerfully applying it in our lives. Oh, help us, Heavenly Father, in this truth, in this reality. Please help us as we continue in this study, as we look at the various areas of how we fellowship with your spirit, we pray that this would not just be knowledge in our minds, but it would be a reality in our life. Be with us, O Lord. We pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.